All right, guys. Well, if you've been uh, following along with us on YouTube, you know that we're in Luke chapter 2 now. So I'm going to invite you to go ahead and, and find your way there. Luke chapter 2. So uh, Luke chapter 2, really, it, it gives us the really pretty much all we know about Jesus as uh, a child. So uh, last week we looked at, Pastor Dave shared with us on uh, online, uh, the Christmas story, the, the oh-so-familiar story about uh, the angels coming and announcing to the shepherds and uh, the, the shepherds going and, and finding this baby that had been born and was laid in a manger. And this week, we're going to look at a couple of scenes from Jesus's uh, infancy. And then next week, we're going to look at a story from uh, Luke, the end of Luke chapter 2, where Jesus is uh, a 12-year-old boy. But uh, Luke 22, uh, I'm sorry, 2 verses 21 through 52. It covers three different scenes. So we're going to look at the first two of those today. So uh, verse 21 that we're going to look at uh, is a picture of when Jesus is eight days old. He's about to be circumcised, and uh, we talked about that when Zechariah and Elizabeth circumcised John uh, a couple of weeks ago. And then uh, the, the second scene is verse 22 through 40 that we're going to look at with the rest of our time together. And uh, the reference in those verses to what it says is uh, the days of their purification According to Old Testament law, that puts it at about 33 days after Jesus was born. So we have uh, a picture of Jesus as a one-month-old. Uh, and then next week, we're going to look at Jesus as a 12-year-old when he goes to the temple. So uh, what I want to do to start this morning is we're just going to read the entire passage. And uh, then we're going to pray and, and jump into digging into a couple of different spots. So read along with me, uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 40. When eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. When the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which had been said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed." There was a prophetess, Anna, the, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow to the age of 84. She had never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of, Israel, uh, the, the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. And the child continued to grow and became strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Church, would you guys pray with me? 
God, we thank you so much for your word. God, thank you for this little insight into uh, a couple of different scenes of, of Jesus as a baby and the way that we see, uh, God, everything about this just pointing to uh, the message of salvation. So, God, we pray that as we uh, consider these verses, as we talk about them for a few minutes this morning, God, we pray that you would, um, God, just that you would speak, that you would allow us to have uh, ears to hear and to understand. God, we pray that you would, uh, God, that you would work in us this morning. It's in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to tip my cards right here at the beginning as we uh, get ready to jump into all of this. Normally, we, we, we take a, a, a chunk of verses and uh, we kind of dig through, and there's, there's all kinds of different points, and uh, we've we got to talk about this for a few minutes, and then we've got to talk about that for a few minutes, and this morning's message only has one point. Everything in what we just read points to a single point, and that is that Jesus is salvation. Mary and Joseph realized it and acknowledged it in the way that they responded. Jesus' name that we're going to talk about in a minute means salvation. Uh, Simeon saw it. Anna saw it. Everything through this passage points to uh, this incredible reality that Jesus is here to save. So the first thing that we're going to look at is Jesus' name is salvation. We're going to look at uh, just verse 21 uh, in that passage, that that chunk where uh, Jesus is uh, being named and about to be circumcised. Verse 21, it says, when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. See, on, on two separate occasions, uh, an angel had come and told Mary and then had come and told Joseph that this baby's name was going to be Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1, the angel said to Joseph, she will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. It says because he will save his people from their sins. That means that there's something significant about that name Jesus. Something that uh, maybe you don't know yet this morning, but you're going to in just a second. And in Luke chapter 1, Gabriel's announcement to Mary was kind of similar to that as well. It says, you will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. I also want to kind of take this opportunity and, and actually tie in the last two verses of our passage uh, today as well, because they, they kind of fit in well here. So uh, everything that Mary and Joseph are doing throughout this passage uh, naming the child Jesus, uh, circumcising him on the eighth day, going on the 33rd day after their uh, time of purification to go and to offer a sacrifice for him. Everything that they do uh, is in obedience to God's command. And uh, the story next week, we're going to see uh, Mary and Joseph and Jesus' obedience to what God wanted them to do then as well. So verses 39 and 40, it says, When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. And the child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. The grace of God was upon him. Naturally speaking, if we just talk about uh, children and their experience in uh, coming to know God and, and their relationships with God and how they grow, uh, we see that Jesus, one of the, the natural reasons that Jesus grew in wisdom, that Jesus grew in the grace of God, uh, the verse that we're going to look at next week, Luke 2.52, says that uh, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with both God and man. Uh, all of those things, uh, they, one of the ways that they trace back to, to that developing in Jesus' life is that Jesus had good examples. Jesus had good parents uh, to, to look to and, and to see as models who were uh, showing him what it looked like to obey God. We as parents 
have tremendous influence in the lives of our children. Uh, What our children kind of understand of God as they grow up, a lot of the time it has to do with with what they see in, in mom and dad. If they see that scripture reading is important to you, well, then it's going to be something that probably is something that they believe is important. If they see that uh, going to church and, and being in fellowship with other Christians is something that's important to mom and dad, well, that's going to have a higher likelihood of being important to them. They're, they're going to see it. Uh, I'm going to skip that story. <clears throat> I had a little idea pop into my head. No, I'm going to tell you. So, uh, one, one brief thing. Uh, I am in the, the phase of life right now where uh, I have to smell stink from my children. I've got a, a baby that's still in diapers, and so uh, she runs by and you go, something doesn't smell right. And, and we've got to deal with that, right? Well, I think kids kind of have that, that nose for their parents too. Uh, parents, we may think that we're tricking ourselves. We may think that we're tricking other adults. But have you ever had that experience where uh, something that you say, but your life doesn't necessarily match up with it, all of a sudden you see it in your kids? Do as I say, not as I do. Guys, they can smell that stink on us too. We have to... Jesus saw uh, obedience modeled for him in the obedience of Mary and Joseph. In the same way, if if we want to have a, a profound impact on our children... We have to model what we believe. We have to model that, that this is something that's important to us. We also see uh, in this verse that the important matter at his circumcision was that Jesus was officially named Jesus. Uh, the name Jesus, which means Jehovah is salvation. It's what it practically means. So uh, we hear Jesus and just think of the person Jesus, but if we spoke uh, ancient biblical language, uh, we, would, we would look at that name, and it would be like I named my kid, God's going to save us. Every time they would call Jesus' name, Jesus, come wash the dishes. Jesus, come do your chores. Every single time they said his name, they were saying, God's going to save us. God's going to save us. God's going to save us. That, that, that triggers some reminder in their mind. God is working. God is doing something. It is essential to our understanding, to to a correct understanding of what it means for Jesus to come and to live as a human, for us to understand that his name literally means God is coming to save us. That's what he was doing. That's that's who he was. The name is so special because it it, kind of gives us his job description, even as an eight-day-old baby at this point. God is again declaring to us, this baby is special. So Jesus' name means salvation. We're also going to look at verses 22 through 24 and see that Jesus' parents, they understood salvation. They understood the, the posture that was necessary for salvation. So verses 22 through 24, let's read those. It says, When the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So these uh, events that are kind of happening, we we, we know the the Christmas story. So these post-Christmas events that were happening with the uh, ceremonial rites of purification, 
uh, for Mary and for the baby. Uh, when they come uh, about a month later and they come to the temple, they're coming to uh, present Jesus. It's, it's baby dedication day. And they come to offer their sacrifice uh, as God has commanded in the Old Testament. So in the book of Leviticus chapter 12, we see uh, that there's kind of a, a stipulation, a law that's put in place that every firstborn male uh, they're supposed to come to the temple, and they're supposed to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. We see in those verses, it stipulates that the purification offering should be a, a lamb that's one year old, and then that would be for the burnt offering, and then a, a pigeon or a dove for a sin offering. That's what's expected, a lamb and a pigeon or a dove. But it says in Leviticus twelve eight, it says, if she cannot afford a lamb, then you shall take two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one for the burnt offering and the other for the sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her, and she will be clean. So the plan is a lamb and a dove, but if you can't afford a lamb, you can just bring two doves and make the sacrifice that way. So what we see here in Luke chapter 2, when it says that they offered a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, we see that, that Mary and Joseph are coming from humble means. They're, they're poor, their sacrifice that they're coming to the temple to make is a public declaration of their poverty. Uh, they, they had to be humble enough to come and to offer not, not, not the big offering. They, they could just afford the little offering. And while the financial means of Mary and Joseph does not matter uh, to their worthiness of salvation, God doesn't look at rich people or poor people and say, okay, you but not you. He doesn't, he doesn't show partiality in any way, and we're not going to get into that a whole lot, but, but there, are, there are no people groups in the world that God doesn't love. There are no people that are, are more worthy or less worthy based on their socioeconomic status or their race or where they come from or the language that they speak or anything else. God doesn't show partiality among those things, but what we see here in Mary and Joseph's humility and their willingness to, to offer the poor person's sacrifices that it reflects an advantage that Mary and Joseph had to understanding truly what salvation means and what salvation requires. See, Mary and Joseph's poverty uh, is reflected in their posture towards the Lord. They knew that they needed God's help. Uh, it, it reminds us of what we've heard over the past several weeks. Mary talked about it in Luke chapter 1. Uh, she says in verse 48, and then we'll skip down to 52 and 53, she says, he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. And she goes on a little further down to say, he has brought down rulers from their thrones and exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty-handed. God did not then and does not now come to the aid of those who think they're good enough on their own. God doesn't come to, to offer salvation to the self-sufficient. If, if we think that we're good enough on our own, that, that I'm a good person or, or I, I've done enough good things that God should be happy with me, good luck. That, that's, that's all I can say because that is absolutely not the message that we see time and time and time again in the Bible. The Bible is very clear that we are not nor will we ever be able to measure up to God's standard of perfection. God says, do not sin. Anything, any, any wrong thought, any wrong action, anything that we have done in the history of our life that is against what God expects from us, even something, the right action that was done with the wrong motives, it puts us in a position of being an enemy of God. 
We are never, never, never good enough to meet God's standard. There's only been one person in the history of the world who has met God's standard, and that's the baby that we're getting ready, that that we're talking about this morning in Jesus. So this humility, this posture of, God, we don't have it all together, but but here's what we have. That, That posture of humility that we see from Mary and Joseph, that posture is the same posture that we have to have and understand. It's a truth that we can't just glaze over and and move past today. The only appropriate way for us to come to God, to to come to God and ask for salvation, to to come to God and and try to be a son or a daughter, or or to, to, to have that relationship with Him, the only way that happens is with a posture of humility. The next thing that we're going to look at in our passage is Simeon's understanding and his joy for this salvation that has come. We're going to look at a big chunk. We're going to read verses 25 through 35. I want to read all of those again and then pick them apart a little bit. Luke 2, verse 25, it says, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, And he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, the glory of your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. And for a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. These verses that we're going to look at here, it it introduces us to Simeon. Just like Mary and Joseph, Simeon was a person who was dedicated to being obedient to what God wanted from him. In these verses, it says that he was full of faith, that he was waiting for God to fulfill his promise to excuse me, to, to comfort or to console Israel uh, with a Savior. It's, it's a, a reference back to a couple of different verses from Isaiah in, verse, uh, or in chapter 40 and then in chapter 57. So what we see here, I, I want us to use our uh, sanctified, holy, God-centered imaginations for just a minute because what we see here in this passage, I, I read it the first time and I went, okay, that sounds kind of normal, but but this scene is far from normal because Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple to offer the sacrifice on his behalf and to, uh, to, to set him apart for the Lord. And they bring their eight, uh, their, I'm sorry, their, their 33-day-old baby into the church. And the crazy old guy that's been living there, that, that's been around, that, that has been saying, I'm not going to die until I see the Messiah. He comes running up to them and grabs the baby and says, God, I can die now. Like, it's kind of a weird scene, right? That's, that's what he says here. He says, uh, my eyes have seen your salvation, Lord. Now I can depart. Now your servant is ready to depart in peace. So we look at this and we see kind of this crazy scene of somebody that Mary and Joseph weren't familiar with come over, grab their baby, look at him and say, I can die now. It's a little weird, right? But it's also incredibly profound because as Mary and Joseph brought Jesus into this temple, Simeon saw Jesus. It says that Simeon was filled with the Holy Spirit, that he saw Jesus. He saw uh, Mary and Joseph bring this baby in, and he knew 
The Holy Spirit testified to him, this is the one. This is the one that's come to save us. This is the Messiah that we have been waiting for. And he took that one-month-old baby and he thanked God. And, and joy flooded his heart and filled his heart. That same joy that we've talked about with, with all the other instances that we've seen of how Jesus has, has, has come into contact with people's lives. We, we saw it with Mary and the joy that she experienced. We saw it with the unborn John when Mary went to visit with her relative Elizabeth and John in Elizabeth's womb leapt with joy. We see it in, in all kinds of stories so far in the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to see it a lot more with Jesus as a grown man. An encounter with Jesus prompts joy. It, it, it creates something inside of people. And we see that joy fill Simeon as he begins to prophesy and begins to speak about this baby. So we see in verses 31 and 32 in our passage, Simeon reveals the purpose for which Jesus was born. He describes him as the consolation of Israel. The, the one that we've been waiting for is finally here. He has finally come. He also describes him as, as uh, the light of the world. And this baby that is going to, to bring light into the world, to bring glory of salvation, he's not just coming for the Jews, but he's coming for the Gentiles as well. He's coming for, for people like me. For those of us that aren't of Jewish descent, this is great news that Jesus didn't just come to save a certain people group. The offer of salvation is available to all who would receive it. He's going to be the Savior of the world. He's going to be the light that, that brings hope to all of the nations. So we see that joy reflected in 31 and 32, those incredible words. But we also see in verse 34 and 35 that Simeon's not finished. The, the gladness of 31 and 32 also come with some hints of sorrow in 34 and 35. Because this old man uh, turns to these parents and uh, Simeon blessed them with kind of a strange message, some strange words. He says that this child will be a light, but but also that this child will be the kind of light that exposes, that, that brings light to things that maybe people don't want revealed. And because he exposes, he's going to have enemies. He's going to face opposition. That opposition uh, is not just going to be a, a passive opposition. There is going to be a violent piercing of your baby. So much so that, that mom, it's even going to pierce your own heart. Those words may sound familiar because... We fast forward about 20 chapters, we see Jesus' heart being pierced, and, and surely his mom's heart being pierced as well as he was hanging on the cross, and a, a Roman soldier put a spear into his side and pierced his heart. Simeon's assertion that this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many, it reveals the necessary experience of anyone who would come to Jesus for salvation, because that, that, those steps absolutely describe what salvation looks like. It says the, the falling and the rising of many. In order for us to come to Christ, just like we saw with Mary and Joseph and their, their humble sacrifice, we have to come humbly. The, the gospel, the, the good news of Jesus brings us down. We have to offer ourselves humbly before God first. So he's going to cause the, the falling of many, but also the rising of many. Because we don't, when, when we humble ourselves before God, we don't just stay on the ground. God, God does incredible things in our life. 
right? God calls us a, a child of the king. We're adopted into his family, and so that means some incredible things happen in our life. And we could spend a whole sermon talking about all of the things that happen at salvation, but, but there is life that is breathed into us. We have hope for the future. We have joy and experience joy like these people that have met Jesus experience. We, we have all these things. The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. So it's not just a, a bowing low and a, a lowering of ourselves, but as we lower ourselves, understanding that we are not good enough on our own, God raises us up. God, God does incredible things in our lives. So when Simeon speaks of the falling and the rising of many that this child is going to cause, man, how much more true could that be? There's a lot of people in this room that have, have been lowered and been raised up because of this baby. When we see our inadequacy, when we humble ourselves, what that means is that we're ready finally to receive the grace of God. Salvation is not just an idea. It's not just a cool story. It's not just something that we talk about in church as, as some abstract thing. Salvation is found in the person of this baby, Jesus Christ. Salvation is not something that Jesus came to accomplish. Salvation is who he is. We, 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 don't, we don't get salvation in any other way. The Bible tells us, that, tells us that there is salvation in no one else. It is in Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus himself said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to God unless it's through me. That's what he said. Salvation is not something separate from Jesus. Salvation is Jesus. His name actually means God has come to save us. True peace only comes when we, just like Simeon here, understand that salvation is in Jesus that, that salvation is Jesus, that it's, that it's Jesus and nothing else. Salvation is Jesus plus nothing. Do you guys hear me say that? Salvation is Jesus plus nothing. God doesn't offer salvation to us if we accept Jesus and we give 10% of our income. God doesn't accept us and, and offer salvation if we, if we receive Jesus and volunteer once a week. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's, it's just Jesus. God doesn't offer salvation to us because we checked off enough boxes. He offers it to us because he felt like it. That's Ephesians chapter 1. That whole chapter talks about it. Salvation is not because of anything in us. It's just because God is good and God is gracious. And before we ever were a glimmer in dad's eye, God loved us and God knew us and, and God wanted to offer salvation freely to us. It's not because we were good enough. It's because God is good enough. Finally, let's look at Anna's response to salvation. We're going to look at verses 36, 37, and 38 here. Let's read those and then we'll talk about them a little bit. It says, There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband, seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Here in these verses now, we meet Anna, a woman who had served in the temple faithfully for the majority of her adult life. The New American Standard that we just read uh, translates that she was 84 years old. But some of you guys, if you, if you look down in the footnotes 
on your page. You may see uh, it could also be translated as that she lived as a widow for 84 years. So she's either 84 or uh, she was uh, a child and got married and then lived for seven years as a married woman and then was widowed for 84 more years. So we've got a woman that's somewhere between 84 and 104, 106, something like that. She's lived a long life. She has served a long time. And in verse 37, it tells us that Anna had never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Whenever the doors were open, Anna was there. Whenever there was something to be done, Anna was there ready to do it. She was a woman of rare commitment. So what does Anna do? How does she respond when she encounters this baby? She does two things. The first thing that she does is she thanks God. When we realize that God has sent a Savior, the only appropriate thing for us to do is to say thank you. The first thing that should be stirred in us when we realize this message that Jesus has come to save us, it should be, God, thank you for what you've done. Luke chapter 17, it talks about a story where Jesus saved and healed ten lepers from their disease. Nine of those lepers ran off with with their eyes focused on, I'm healed now, I'm, I'm whole. And there was just one out of the ten that actually came back and told Jesus, thank you, and acknowledged what Jesus had done for him. When we see this offer of salvation, this message of salvation, that this baby has come to save me and to save you, the first response should be exactly what Anna does. It should be, God, thank you for what you've done. The Christian heart should be a grateful heart. It should be a thankful heart. It should be a a joyful heart. And the second thing that she does, we see that she says, thank you to God and praises him. And the second thing that she does is she shares the good news. It talks about the fact, basically, they couldn't shut her up. From the very moment that she came up and began giving thanks to God, she continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. She had incredible news and and the only thing that seemed reasonable to her was to go and do something about it, to, to, to change the way that she would act and, and, and tell other people about it. I think Anna's response here should provide a kick in the backside for all of us today because there are churches today, whether it's here or whether it's somewhere else, I'll, I'll, I'll let you and God be the judge of that. But there are a lot of Christians today in America that, that are not like Anna. See, I believe, there's no statistics to back this up, but I believe with, with my experience that apathy, that, that an attitude of, eh, okay, is the biggest problem that the church in America is facing today. See, we've got this incredible news that, that we deserve eternal punishment from God because we're sinful people, but instead of receiving the punishment that we deserve, that, that God has sent His only Son to pay that punishment so that we can be adopted as his son or his daughter. That's incredible news. That, that, that's a big deal thing. And a lot of Christians today kind of respond to it with a, eh, okay, cool. I guess I'll pray a prayer. Like, so I just pray a prayer and then I, God will let me go to heaven one day? I can do that. Like that's, that's kind of the attitude, right? I don't think that's enough. I, I don't think that truly understands what God has done for us. Christians today, some, not talking about everyone, 
let, let you and God deal with this. But I think there are some Christians today that just kind of accept the deal. Okay, that's cool. But then they get entitled. They get lazy. They, they just think, all right, well, God gave me a free gift, so that's cool. And apathy in the face of this incredible gift, what it tells me is we don't really get it. We don't really understand what an incredible gift this has been. If someone with incredible wealth came and gave you more money than you would ever know what to do with, you'd, you'd probably have a little bit more than a, meh, okay, like response, right? Like that, that's going to stir something in us, right? It, it's not something that we go, oh, okay. Why do we do that with God? How can we respond to, to God who has saved us, who has sent this, this baby who is salvation, and just respond with a, hmm. Anna gives thanks to her Savior. She continues to speak of Him. She, she goes and does whatever she can. She was 80, 90, 100 years old, and she's out there working. Instead of passively sitting back and listening to what God has said, she's out there doing something. She's out there making a difference. I want to be like that when I'm 80 or 90 or 100 years old. God's not de- when God's done with me, God's going to make that very clear to me because I'm going to be in the ground and I'm g- my, my body's going to be in the ground and I'm going to be with him. Until that happens, I want to be like Anna. I, I want there to be more work to do. I love looking around talking about that and looking around because I see so many faces that, that embody that to me. That I look around and see people and go, oh yeah, you have every right. You, you've put in 50 good years of serving the Lord. It would be reasonable for you to go, God, I've, I've, I've checked those boxes. I'm good. But you don't. You keep pushing. You keep serving. You keep doing whatever you can to further this cause of the Lord because you understand what an incredible gift God has given you. And so we always have more to give. We, we don't pay back that debt that God has, has paid for us. There is nothing that we can do that can ever pay that back, but we continue to try. We continue to serve. We continue to give to him everything that we've got because it's the only reasonable response that we can. So let's wrap all this up. Every bit of these two stories that we looked at points to the fact that there is one reminder from all of it. Jesus is salvation. His name means salvation his parents understood the, the posture and their need for salvation, that they came humbly and offered their sacrifice. Simeon experienced an overwhelming joy and like eruption in his soul because of he, his opportunity to look into this baby's face and see, God, you have sent this baby. This, this baby is the salvation that we've been waiting for. And finally, we see Anna, that she was thankful for her salvation, that she never got over her salvation, that she continued to to go and tell people this good news. The the one that we've been waiting for is finally here. She had news to share. She continued to speak of that salvation that had come. Jesus comes to the needy. He comes to those who understand that he is the only hope that we have. Mary and Joseph understood it. The shepherds understood it. Simeon understood it this week. Anna understood it this week. Jesus comes to those who realize their need. And Luke 1.53 says, Truly he has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Today, it's those, 
those people sitting in this room, those of us with a perpetual sense of understanding that we have an incredible spiritual need and we have an incredible spiritual hunger. It's, it's those who have an understanding of their need and a hunger for God who truly live in the wonder, in the joy of this baby that has, that has come in the incarnation. So today, the challenge is let's live with thankfulness. Let's live with joy. Let's reflect that in the way that we respond to Jesus. Let's live with thankfulness and awe today. We don't have to earn our salvation. We don't have to be good enough because this baby is salvation that has been given for us. Let's never get over that, church. Never, never, never get over that. Every morning when you wake up, it doesn't matter what life looks like around you. We have joy. We have hope. We have, we have reason to celebrate every single moment because we have been given a gift that uh, supersedes anything else in all of life. This baby salvation has come. Let's pray together. God, you are good, and God, you are... God, this news of salvation, that, that Jesus the baby has been born, God, is incredible news. God, help us this morning, whether we are here, whether we are in an overflow room, whether we are, are at home on the couch still, God, help us to all get it. God, help us to understand what an incredible gift you have given to us and to never just respond with, nah. God, we owe you everything. God, we give our lives to you. We give everything that we have to you, and we pray that it would bring you glory, that it would bring a smile to your face. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for this, God, this baby, for salvation. We pray in the name of salvation. God has come to save Jesus. Amen.